This is Wiffer Karen, and I love listening to Will Write for Wine. Oh, yeah. This is Wiffer Mac, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Hello, this is Wiffer Kim from Colorado, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Yay! Hi, this is Wiffer Lily, and I'm listening to Will Write for Wine. This is Wiffer Don, and you're listening to Will Write for Wine. Hello, this is Wiffer Melissa, and you're listening to Will Write for Wine. This is Wiffer Wayne, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. This is Wiffer Ambroise, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Hi, this is Knocked Up Wiffer Susan, and you're listening to Will Write for Wine. Cheers! Hi, this is Wiffer Renee, and you've made the excellent choice of listening to my girls, Sam and Lonnie, on Will Write for Wine. Hi, this is Wiffer Pimp, my mixer Pam, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Take it away, girls. Thank you, Wiffers. Welcome to Will Write for Wine, a podcast about wine, writing, and song. But mostly wine and writing. This is Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Samantha Graves. And tonight's show is our last official Will Write for Wine weekly show, which is very sad, and it would be a lot sadder if we weren't having so many technical difficulties. Oh my God. You know, all those times we threw in the towel for technical difficulties, nothing compared, <laughs> nothing compared to what we've dealt with today. We've had internet issues. Yeah, network. Network wireless. issues, wireless issues, uh, microphone issues. As a matter of fact, I am now uh-huh. sharing Sam's microphone because my microphone said, you know what? 58 episodes, enough for me. I'm out, I'm out. Um, what yeah. else do we have? Like burning. Oh, I spilled my whole mimosas. Spilled the, we had oh. mimosa issues. That was really bad. That was really it's bad. Been a really long day. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had to drink all through it. I know. I yeah. know. So, I but, uh, yeah, and if it wasn't our, our last episode, we would not have persevered. I know. So we do it all for you guys. I know. We do it all for you guys. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and like we said, we're having mimosas, mango right. mimosas. Very yummy. Totally Very yummy. rock. So tell them, tell them how you make it. Well, you buy some mango juice, and you buy some champagne, and you dump it all into a pitcher, and you you drink the pitcher. Simple. <laughs> Mango juice, champagne, your day is made. It's all good. (laughs) All right. And uh, originally we were going to do one long podcast with no breaks. Oh, God. Can you imagine? I mean, there's just no way. It would take an act of God for that Mm -hmm. to actually happen today. But we got some really nice surprises in our email this week, and we were so touched that we thought we'd share them with you. So taking us out of our final A block, how sad, is our buddy and definitely, uh, oh, your buddy and definitely ours. (laughs) We screwed that up just for you, Matt. This podcast can't end too soon. Mac. Hi, Lanny. Hi, Sam. What's more fun than a freezer full of dead ferrets? Why, we'll write for wine, of course. Although I probably could get into quite a bit of mischief with a freezer full of dead ferrets. Just wanted to let you know that, uh, yeah, I'm going to miss the show, but I understand that uh, there's only 24 hours in a day and there's other goals and challenges to meet. You know, we'll always have wine and magic socks. That said... See you in the forums. Welcome back. I'm Samantha Graves. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. <laughs> and this is Will Rain for Wine. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
We suck. We've done this 59 times, and oh, we still yeah. can't get it right. Still can't get it right. Oh, All right. Well, one of the messages we got this week that was really touching was from Melissa DK, mm-hmm. who sent us a wonderful letter, including 20 ways that Will Write for Wine has changed her life. So hopefully she doesn't mind, but we're going to share what she sent. Yeah, this is the letter. It says, thank you, Sam and Lonnie. Wow, I can't believe that the podcast has come to an end. Of course, it's sad, but more than anything, I'm just grateful for all that you've done. 59 episodes. That must have been a really ton of work. Actually, she didn't say really ton, because that's bad. <laughs> I threw that in. I'll drink again. Or it must have been a really ton of work. work. A ton of really work. <laughs> or perhaps really a ton of work, none of which she said. It's me screwing up her absolutely perfect uh, grammar there. All right. Uh, anyway, back to Melissa. <laughs> I'm so sorry I didn't send a postcard. Oh, which, by the way, this is Lonnie again interrupting Melissa's very sweet letter to say I forgot to go to the P.O. box, <laughs> even though I knew I wanted to go to the P.O. box today and bring it in and talk about all the wonderful things you guys sent. So, um, sorry. We'll catch you on the forums. We'll catch you on the yeah. forums. All right, back to Melissa. Um, I've been a little under the weather. Oh, sorry, Melissa, this week. So instead, I'm sending you a list of 20 ways Will Write for Wine changed my life. Mm -hmm. Number one, I listen to Adrian Pierce and Alison Krauss. Awesome. I read wine notes. I can't say awesome without saying drink, even when I'm talking to somebody who's not a whiffer. (laughs) I'm on Twitter and MySpace. (laughs) I'm always looking for chances to use killer words. Oh, yeah. I love coding sites in WordPress. I use Scrivener. Mm, I listen to Grammar Girl. I've read Romantic Suspense and loved it. Yay. I can use and define terms like GMC, POV, and head hopping. <laughs> I create characters who drink a ton of wine. <laughs> That's like my favorite one. I'm crocheting for the first time in years. Aww. I'm a member of RWA. I won Nano. I went to RWA Nationals. Yes, I'm addicted to bubble shooting, (laughs) as we all are. Thank you, Lonnie. (laughs) I know, I'm the typhoid Mary of bubble shooter. (laughs) I've met three out of the six literary chicks, which is very cool. The other three are also equally awesome. Mm I I've, have a completed manuscript and a query letter almost ready to send out. Yay! Oh, it's just amazing. I know. Yeah. Uh, I'm part of the most awesome drink, drink. writing community ever. Yay! Oh my God, yay! Uh, and she continues, I feel like the end of the show is sort of a graduation. As you know, and Will Write for Wine is what uh, caused me to start writing in the first place. And we're really sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> we sucked you in. The two of you held my hands through the entire process of writing my very first novel, and you've given me the tools I need to send my book off to the big, scary writing world. Even if I never get published, it's all been worth it. Writing has given me a type of joy and satisfaction I've rarely experienced. I can't thank you enough for all you've done. I wish you both the best of luck with all your exciting plans for the future. Cheers, Melissa. Oh, my God. Thank you, Melissa, for the incredible letter. We were both so touched by it, and it means so much to us that we did that for you. I mean, I know at least for me when we started this whole thing. I thought of the audience as kind of just a bunch of nameless people we'd never hear from and who Mm -hmm. would probably listen to one show and never come back. (laughs) Ditto. I didn't think we'd make it this far. Even I, I didn't think that we'd be able to deliver enough 
work to actually help people through the whole process of writing because there's so much to it. I mean, you've been doing it for what, six years, seven right, years? Yeah, I've uh-huh. been doing it for 10 years mm-hmm. and it's taken me this long <laughs> to, to figure, any to this figure all this stuff out. <laughs> Thinking, I what can I do in an hour long podcast? You know? Well, yeah, I mean, my thing was like, what could I possibly tell anybody when we first started? Like, it was actually my idea. So it's kind of funny that I was like, well, what do I have to offer? Because I was like, well, let's do this. But um, mostly I wanted to do it because it was really fun for me. Like, I didn't think anybody would actually get anything out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, the thing is, like, at, one of the things that has been really great is that I kind of discovered what I actually do have to offer as far as, you know, um, what I can help people with. It's something that, you know, I get to a certain point and I think, well, I know this stuff. Everybody must know this stuff. And that's actually, you know, not kind of, not true. You know, no, not everybody know. does know it. And it's helpful to have somebody tell you before you find out, you know, the hard way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Also, uh, we got really nice letters from Jen in Texas. Aww. Thank you so much. And it just, she says, thanks for all the wise advice, good wine, hearty laughter, and famous quotes to live by. Aww. So, hey, that's you know, great. anytime we can get quoted, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> my librarian is kicking my ass. <laughs> and this one from Griffin from Idaho. Um, um, and wherever I go, I will always remember Ed McMahon ain't coming. And if it. <laughs> doesn't make you crazy it'll make you smarter (laughs) thank you griffin and uh finally for robin i just want to email you to let you know that even though i haven't been around for very long your influence has been priceless so um what i want to tell you most is that you've demonstrated what true friendship between two writers can be your podcasts have revealed much more about um uh, much more than fabulous writing advice. They've told the story of two very successful authors being each other's companions, being able to agree, disagree, and laugh until words don't matter. Mm-hmm. So, oh, how sweet. I know. I really, like, That's so nice. I'm like, oh, my God. You're you guys are going to make me cry. <laughs> I know. And I forwarded to Lonnie, even though I know she already gets them. I'm like, can you believe that? Speaking of the whippers, now we're going to move on to... This Week in the Forum! Thanks, Mac! (laughs) This week on the forums, the hot topics were Hooray for Robin, who finaled in the Toronto Romance Writers Original Golden Opportunity Contest! Yay! Also, we had Stacy's Evil Word. She's got a YouTube link featuring the evil word. She says it a thousand times. I still can't pronounce it. We also had the big uh, Pepsi versus Coke plotter versus Pantser thing. Which isn't turning out as well as I thought it would. Oh, that's Pepsi just because there aren't as many Pepsi on. people. Come on. Coke people it's are killing about the us. Coke. That's because people like Coke better. No. Let's just face it. <laughs> what a surprise. She's Pepsi, I'm Coke. Who would have yeah. thought? All right. <laughs> there was also a Need to Kill the World. Ooh. Which and I really enjoyed. I know you did. I really enjoyed. I got into it. And I actually had to edit myself because I could have gone on for pages. <laughs> I had nothing about how to get a post-apocalyptic universe. <laughs> to me, like, you know, a bomb or a meteor, and that's about where I drop off. I'm, I'm not that creative. I had a lot of good ideas. But anyway, we just wanted to add that it was Need to Kill the World in a book. Yes. In case the uh, FBI or somebody concerned about <laughs> national security is... You know, keeping an eye on us. It's all about the book. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no one, none of the whiffers aren't plotting on the side of evil. No, no, mm-hmm. not yet. Um, 
And as of August 22nd, 2008, our final show, we have 175 members. Oh, wow. Which is, which is amazing. <laughs> Whoever thought. Time. I remember when we were looking at it, we were like, is it going to get to 100? Are 100 people going to actually sign up for this thing? <laughs> I mean, we put it out there. What do we have, like, three topics or something? Oh, seriously. I mean, we had, like, nothing. When it got and to then... 40, I was like, dude, how did this happen? <laughs> never thought we'd make it this far <laughs> but you know what it's a good time to stop because all the crazies come in at 200 yeah, yeah well we said that about 100 so far we've been good we've actually been really really lucky so um our next incredibly touching whiffer message comes from karen with a mm-hmm. very very cool new zealand accent so yes. here we go hello this is with the karen from wellington new zealand my most memorable Will Write for Wine moment, other than laughing so hard I cried at Sam's water slide story, is the Don't Look Down draft episode in honour of the Southern Cross Novel Challenge. Thank you Lani and Sam for Will Write for Wine, for all the laughs, the great writing advice, the episode where Lani sang, and the episode with the stout. It's been a great ride, and long may it continue with the whiffers. Cheers. Thanks for coming back with us. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Samantha Graves. And this is Will Write for Wine. Yes, and this show is all about you. Well, and us. Because we are answering your questions, all of them, every single one, whether you want to know the answer or not. <laughs> yes, you're stuck with us. So uh, Sam has done the very good work of compiling uh, all of these questions. So thank you for that, because I never would have been able to do it. And uh, the first one comes from Mary. Um, I've always wondered, as authors, how do you feel about seeing your books in used bookstores? Well, they've been read once. Yeah. So that makes me happy. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much all you can ask for is that it was at least purchased once. Yeah. But actually, I really actually like seeing them in used bookstores. Some authors have a problem with that, and I you know, respect their right to have a problem with it. Um, but the way I see it is that somebody who may not have purchased my book and found out what an incredible writer I am has now the opportunity to purchase the one book at the used bookstore and then go out and get them all at the regular prices when they come out. Uh-huh. So um, so actually I think that's good. Also if you've got a book that's you know out of print mm-hmm. then that's a way to get people also they find your old books and if they really are excited about you as a writer mm-hmm. they get a new book and maybe they pay for it at the store but they can't get the old books so they have to go to the used bookstores. Yep. And I myself am a huge huge fan of used bookstores. I think anything that makes books accessible to people who may not be able to afford them otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really can't afford a full price book, mm-hmm. you know, but you can go to the used bookstore. I mean, I used to go all the time before I was a writer, and I still, one of my favorite bookstores in the entire world is Tidal Waves. Tidal Wave Books in Anchorage, Alaska. If you're ever in Anchorage, go to Tidal Wave. Um, <laughs> and uh, said hi. <laughs> right. They actually might know me. I, I wrote two books there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just I think that they're they're great. I love mm-hmm. used bookstores, and I have absolutely no issue with them whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and also it's the same thing with libraries. Right. Mm-hmm. I love to have my books in libraries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My libraries, some of my favorite places. I know. It's great. All right. Next question is from Cynthia. Are all writers addicted to the office supply store? <laughs> Or should I enroll in a 12-step program? Is it normal by writer standards to own more pens than you could use in five lifetimes? Okay. (laughs) And as we're doing, let me give you the visual. Because as you say that, Sam motions to her, not one, not two, but three pen cups sitting on her desk. (laughs) Full to the brim with pens. So the answer is, okay, first of all, it's not just pens. It's post-its. It's 
um, pads. It's you know uh, the colored, um, you know the colored, uh, color coded. What am I looking for? Uh, the Papers. index cards, right? The index oh, yeah. cards, everything, labels, everything, everything. You, everything. You, oh, Things yeah. that I don't even use that much. Mm -hmm. I get in the supply store, and I'm like just uh, insane. So yeah. I think it's actually perfectly normal, and uh, I and would say can, go ahead and indulge the addiction. Yeah, we, you know? we can't stop you at all. I know, I know. You know <laughs> what? You know what mine is? Is those big crystal pens? Those are my favorite um, pens to write with. They're my favorite pens to sign with. I have to have at least 45 wherever I'm going. Mm -hmm. I have, yeah. I have like five in my purse as we speak. My pens are stashed <laughs> everywhere. I've got pens. I mean, you turn around. You can, I, I Literally, I have set up my life so yeah. I don't have to go more than two feet to mm -hmm. find a pen. <laughs> is it so. just a writer thing or is everybody like that? I always I, thought everybody loved this office supply store. Is it just me? <laughs> I never knew that was weird until you actually just mentioned it, Cynthia. So uh, thanks a lot. Okay, yeah. So the next one is from, oh, Pimp, my mixer pan. And... Uh, <laughs> She says, for both of us, uh, the hardest moment to overcome and keep writing. Oh, gosh. You know, it's got to be it's got to be a really bad rejection mm -hmm. where they tell you that, um, you know, when it's very specific and it says this book is not going to work and yeah. we don't like it because of this, this and this. And mm -hmm. it's just really hard because writing is so subjective and, and w what one editor hates, mm -hmm. another editor might love. Mm -hmm. So. I had one of those mm -hmm. where I got one of those rejections and another editor loved it and mm -hmm. bought it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but it's very hard and I think you have to believe in yourself and just uh, push through those moments and just look. My grandfather had a saying and it was, it was he said, um, keep your eye on the sparrow. Aww. And the sparrow, of course, is your dream. Mm -hmm. So you keep your eye on your dream and you just push through all the rest mm -hmm. of the crap in your way. Right, right. Well, I think that the, um, you know, the hardest moment to overcome and keep writing, I think is a lot with that rejection, but also I have, um, I have times where a book comes out, you know, mm -hmm. actually I've had this, how many books I've had eight, eight times where a book has come out and not done as well as I would have hoped that it would have done. And, you know, and I think like it doesn't, you know, it, it gets depressing for me because I know that I worked really hard. I know that I love my books. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really do. I think that they're good books and I'm proud mm -hmm. of them. And, um, but sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes audiences don't find it or, you know, and then there's always the, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe I'm one of those people on American Idol who comes in and sings a really bad rendition of that horrible song that Simon loves. And, um, <laughs> you never close your eyes. I hate that song. But, um, but anyway, so, uh, hey, yes, they're singing. We promised singing. There it was. But, um, stuff like that. I mean, I think that it's just, it's hard to kind of get past that. So. Right. Right. Her next question is, how do you go about setting your goals, achieving them, and what levels do you have? Um, I'm not sure about the levels. What are levels? I don't know, but I have goals. Yeah. I mm -hmm. always have goals, um, and, and I always work towards those goals. My goals, I choose, you know, it, it depends on what you choose for your goal. Mm -hmm. I cho choose goals that I know are attainable. Right that are going to challenge me mm -hmm. and they're going to be difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never been right. one of those people who's taken the easy path to mm -hmm. anything and mm -hmm. I don't know why mm -hmm. it's a stupid way to be. <laughs> I'd probably be I a be lot so happier, you know, if mm -hmm. I could just, you know, yeah. take the easy way for once, but mm -hmm. no. Um, so I do set goals. Um, I generally start at the, at the beginning of the year, I actually will have either a, a mental or a written list mm -hmm. of what my goals are for the year. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I always have long-term goals too. Mm -hmm. Where do I want to be in five years? Mm -hmm. Where do I want to be in 10 years? Right. And sometimes, you know, you maybe you don't want to know where you're going to be in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Maybe there's some questions better left unasked. Like, oh no. (laughs) Um, But uh, basically, that's you know, and like I said, I just I've become very focused, and I just Mm -hmm. I just work until nothing stands in my way. Right. right. So, well, I think for me, um, the biggest thing when I'm thinking about a goal is. that it's something that I, I have control over. Mm-hmm. That, you know, my goal is something that I can do. It's write a certain number of words. It's, you know, things that I actually can uh, do something about. Because if you mm-hmm. if your goal is something like getting published by such and such a day, well, that's really great and everything, but you have no control over that. I mean, you have control over how many queries you send out. You know, you have control or, over what you go to. Yeah, or, or how many manuscripts you send out right. or when you submit. And you can uh-huh. say, okay, I want a goal. I want this manuscript that I'm working on right mm-hmm. now. I want it revised and edited and ready to send mm-hmm. July 1st. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great goal. It is. It is. Those yeah. are good goals. Mm-hmm. So, and also baby steps. Mm-hmm. You know, that my goal is not to, you know, take over the world. There's little, little baby steps to taking over the world, that yeah. kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So, the next question is from Knocked Up Whiffer Susan, who is no longer Knocked Up. <laughs> but I will always think of you. As knocked up with for Susan. Um, how do you approach the all-important first five pages? I know that everyone approaches this differently, but in your mind, what are the essential things to communicate up front to set up the rest of your story? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, uh, think of the first five pages as like the five who, what, where, when, how. Mm-hmm. Um, what you want to do is is set up your characters, uh, set up the scene, set up the scenario, capture that moment in time when everything goes wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. When the trouble begins. What you're trying to do in the first five minute, uh, the first five pages mm-hmm. is capture literally five minutes of time. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to uh, set that for the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with the first five pages, there's one um, critique group that I'm a part of that has uh, seven questions. And one of them are that in the first five pages or the first scene, whether it be five pages, ten pages, whatever, it's real hard to do. Um, is uh, the first thing is that you know your protagonist, that you know your antagonist, that you've got a goal for your protagonist, you've got a goal for your antagonist. And uh, then we've got things like, you know, what are the audience expectation, what's the reader expectation, um, what do you love, what do you wish was different, you know, that kind of thing. But um, all those things are really good to keep in mind that you're basically setting up again, like Sam said, you know, start where the trouble starts. And, um, and it is really, really hard. One of the things about opening scenes, which is really good advice that I give everybody, but I never listen to myself, is that you should write it and move on, finish the rest of the book. When you know what your last scene is, you can go back and rework your opening so that it kind of brings you full circle in the last scene. Um, I think that's really, really good advice. I I never follow it because I've always got to get it to a proposal before I've written the last scene. I don't know what's going to happen. So um, so I kind of go there with it. Okay, next question is from Texas Jen. First person writing. I'm seeing a new trend in YA market for first person present tense. It's weird in a sort of neat internal journey way. Mm -hmm. After a quick Google search, I see it's occasionally a point of contention between writers. What do y'all? I love. I love. I love her. She's from Texas. Uh Yeah. Uh, What do What do y'all think? Do you find a certain intrigue? With first person, present tense, and or does it just throw you out of the story? Well, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> that was my kid, by the way. I just <laughs> waved her off. <laughs> Sam's daughter is babysitting my kids, and they're just too rotten to realize the threat of death. <laughs> um, sign sign that's actually the on the door. <laughs> 
Okay, that's all right. She's fine. She'll find her cookies. Anyway, um, well, here's the thing. First person present tense. I wrote actually one book in first person mm-hmm. present tense, and a lot of people ask me why, and I still can't tell them. I have no idea. It just it was the way that that book presented itself to me. Mm-hmm. And looking back in it, I mean, there was the fortune telling aspect of it, and that if she had known that the fortune came true, if that was part of her perspective when she's telling the story, then I think that it wouldn't. It would have lost a little something, you know, mm-hmm. because you, she would have telegraphed that, you know, as the um, as a person telling the story. But um, I think that there are times where first person present tense will work for you in a certain way. Uh, Sophie Kinsella does all her books first person present tense, and I think it works. There are other times where it can sound kind of artificial Mm -hmm. and pretentious. I think it's one of those things that people do to kind of sound more literary sometimes. So I think a lot of it depends on whether your story really needs it or not. And I mean, at the time that I wrote Fortune Quilt, I didn't know that that was why the story needed it. It's just that that's the way it presented itself to me and I went with it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you have something that's presenting it to you in first person present tense, I mean, go with it. It's certainly not going to, there were like one or two people were like, oh, you know, I hate first person present tense. And then they went on to say, but I was so intrigued by the story that I ended up reading it. And I think that's because that's the way that story needed to be told. So, um, you know, I would just be careful about it. Um, As with any tense, anything that you choose, any choice that you make, um, you know, if it's presenting itself that way, go with it and see what happens. If you don't like mm-hmm. it, you can always go back and change it later. Right. I've only ever written in third person, so okay. I'm there no help at all. <laughs> okay, from Nomad uh, Shan- Shannon. No- Shannon. Mm-hmm. Okay, yay. Um, I recently realized an opportunity to turn my current novel into a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Is such a proposal more saleable to agents slash editors than a single book, assuming the manuscript is of interest to them? If so, would I be asked to submit the entire first book and synopsis of the following two books? Yes, you probably would. You probably would also... Um, be asked to submit an overview uh, synopsis of how the three books mm-hmm. work together. Yeah. Um, but as far as uh, editors and agents liking those, I, I know, I know that some editors do, some editors don't. Mm-hmm. So um, I would do uh, your research on that and see if there uh, the editor or agent that you're submitting to has purchased other authors and series. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely do that. I also think generally the rule of thumb that I've heard is that as a as an author, like if you haven't sold yet and you don't right. have a track record and you don't have a sales record, it's really, really hard to sell more than one book at a time. Mm-hmm. So you can't count on that. Now, the thing is, if you've got a really rock solid first book that stands on its own, even though it could be part of this trilogy, what you can do is sell that book. You know, and give them the option of of pursuing the trilogy after that book has been sold. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I would definitely, especially if you have not been published before, you don't have a real strong sales record, you know, that you go with um, one book, sell that one book, sell that first book. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if they're really, really excited, be like, you know, we -hmm. could. And then once you've got, once you got the fish, don't yank up the line until you got the fish on the hook, basically. Well, and a lot of times um, editors will only buy one book from a new mm-hmm. author right. just mm-hmm. to kind of see how it works out. Right, so. right. So that could be tough. All right, the next one is from uh, Karen slash Alana. Mm-hmm. Since most romance readers are women, do you think you could write your books differently to attract a wider male audience? Uh, what would you change about your writing to do this? Well, I actually can answer this. Um, as as C.J. Barry, I had a lot of uh, male readers mm-hmm. because I was writing science fiction. Right. I didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. I just wrote the books the way the way they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were supposed to be written. Mm-hmm. If um, you know, and my audience were 
basically people who like science fiction romance. Mm-hmm. I didn't care if they were male or female. I didn't think about that as mm-hmm. I was writing the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would write them differently to attract a wider male audience. I don't think I need a wider male mm-hmm. audience. I think that I write, I write women's fiction. I write it primarily for women, although I've had men, you know, I've gotten fan letters from men, and they're like, I don't ordinarily read pink books, and I'm like, (laughs) real men read pink books, trust me. Men, you can learn so much by reading pink books, trust me, about the way women's minds work. And what we want. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't think that you, I think that when you're writing, in general, male audience, female audience, whatever, you you don't need to worry about um, you know, changing your writing to match an audience. What you do is you write it and then the audience that that needs it will find it right right okay uh the second part of her question is is it possible to write a series character in romance novels Hmm. has it been done um you know the only thing i can think of is like the the stephanie uh plum is not romance yeah but it's not romance exactly that's what i'm thinking all i can think of is is like eve and rourke right in in um jd robb books but again but again they're not primarily romance romance. they have romantic elements but they're not really romances so i would say generally no but you never know you never know yeah Mm -hmm. you never know Okay. Okay. Oh, from Karen Angel, our lovely New Zealand girl. Um, how much of a first draft have you thrown away while editing, and how did you build it back up again? Well, why don't you take this one? You know what? I think I will. <laughs> how much have I? Uh, the comeback kiss, as I've talked about a number of times, I threw out 175 pages of that. Um, how much of a first draft have I thrown away? Um, it, you know, it really depends on the book. Usually, typically for me, I would say I I don't throw away a whole lot. Um, especially now that I'm doing a little more plotting and I'm kind of thinking about it ahead of time. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. Um, but I think, honestly, it's not a question that any answer that anybody else can give you is really going to be that helpful because every writer is different. And I know people who write and throw away and write and throw away and write and throw away and until they finally get it. Um, the first scene I throw out a lot. You know, I write and I rewrite and I rewrite and I rewrite and I work it until I find something that works. And then once I get that first scene done, though, you Usually I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't throw anything out. So. I, I Maybe out of 400 pages, I might throw out uh, One three, <laughs> three or five pages, some, something like that. If I'm throwing out more than that, then I've had major problems with my book. <laughs> All right. Well, this question comes from Jill. It seems to me that writers have other writers as friends. I can understand the why (laughs) but but how how did you two come to be friends do you uh, spend less time with non-writer friends okay we have no right none i have no non-writer friends i I have a couple you you know but um but i find that i i do tend to spend more of my time with other writers Mm because they sort of understand more like um they understand when i disappear you know for days at a time they don't call the mounties (laughs) in the middle of a conversation (laughs) and i'm just gone or in the middle of a conversation, you're like, oh, I got it. And I know. New York romance writers mm-hmm. yep and uh, Lonnie came to one of the meetings and uh, we were just chit-chatting yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, oh and then you called me I did because <laughs> there was like a meltdown there somewhere. was a political yeah. situation in another yeah. group I was in yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then we went out and, and had drinks had a glass which I think of wine. was 
Possibly. It was wine. It was. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was probably the precursor to all that's of this. The, that's, yeah. That was how it all that began. Was the <laughs> yes, that was the beginning. Definitely. Okay. Our next question is from Lynn Reynolds. Uh, for newly contracted writers, how do we establish a good relationship with a book's editor right from the start? Do we try to be chatty and friendly, discuss non-writing topics, etc.? Or is it better to keep the conversation strictly business? You know, I think that kind of depends on you and the editor, Absolutely. on your personality mm-hmm. types, and what your what your comfort, what each of your comfort levels are. Mm-hmm. Um, some editors, you know, I've been a little more chatty with, and mm-hmm. I have other editors. Um, you know, I can do both, but generally, when I'm emailing my editor, it's for business. I need yeah. to know something, or you know, I'm asking her a question, or whatever. So I, I try to keep my relationships pretty professional. I think. I do. I mean, I think that in the same way that you know, sitting at the water cooler with somebody, you would talk mm-hmm. about you know, my kid did something really cute last night or whatever. I mean, but one of the things though is that you shouldn't really try to do anything. You should do what you are comfortable with Mm -hmm. and what you're comfortable with that person. Um, You know, there are some editors that have had very, very professional relationships with and we just never chatted that much about things that are too personal beyond, oh, how are the kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, other editors that you just kind of instantly have a personal connection with and so you'll talk a little bit more about personal stuff. I think the most important thing though is that you always make maintain the, the relationship as professional first. I think this also is a bigger landmine with agents than with editors. I find that with agents you are so close and you're both kind of working for the same thing and sometimes with agents you can develop a more personal relationship than is necessarily comfortable when you have to deal with a business situation so mm-hmm. um, it's good to keep that balance it's good to be naturally who you are like I never shut down my chatty personality mm-hmm. you know I mean I would always be chatty you know but I had one editor that she and I at the end of all of our emails would put a quote from the office in it and then the other person would have to identify who, wrote, who said the quote <laughs> and then the next person would write a quote and it would have nothing to do we would say nothing about it we just both loved the office we quoted back and forth to each other so was mm-hmm. that professional not really it was fun it bonded us but yeah. the, the email before that you know pretty professional so yeah all right her next question is what if an editor wants to change something you feel is essential to your story mm-hmm. um, I've heard some writers say it's important to stick to your guns and not let something crucial to your story be changed how can you be sure which things are non-negotiable is it like being in love do you <sighs> sigh just no <laughs> Well, um, I've, I've been lucky that I really haven't had any major um, requests on my stories, especially mm-hmm. something that's already been written. Um, so, but if, if, I, if I do feel that it's going, that, that the suggestion or, or whatever is going to negatively impact the plot, and mm-hmm. I plot really tight, I will explain why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll be very, you know, and I'll very objective about it and say if I do this it's going to impact this scene and this scene and we're going to have to cut this and and these are the reasons why I I feel that this is important and it has to stay in there and nine times out of ten the editor will come back and say yes that's 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 true so well here's the thing too when somebody makes a specific suggestion um, you know say at such a point you know maybe take out the dog or something like that Mm -hmm. or whatever um, you know we don't want the dog in there and um, the thing is is that when they make a specific suggestion like that um what they're really saying is that i have a problem 
this is my suggestion to fix it. Um, and um, but the thing is that you can pro usually ninety nine percent of the time you can identify what exactly the problem is and find another way to fix it that will both solve their problem and yours. That you can't take the dog out of the story. The dog is essential yes. to the story. So um, there's a lot of things like that that you can do. I actually have never come across a non negotiable. I've always yeah. been able to uh, you know once you talk to the editor you're like okay now explain to me why this is a problem for you you know and once you get them talking they'll be like mm -hmm. well I feel like it takes up too much of her time and then you can say oh okay well I'll just you know I'll just limit the dog's involvement in the romance mm -hmm. or whatever and then you find that it can fix her problem but you still get to keep the dog yes. so those are the that's generally the way that you need to approach it with an editor or anybody giving you that kind of feedback I think so mm -hmm. all right and her final question is what advice uh, would you have to, on how to salvage the situation if your original editor leaves the company and you're reassigned to a new, um, much less enthusiastic editor. Well, I actually have had this happen. Um, I had it happen twice, I think. Um, I was very lucky that both times the uh, new editor was very enthusiastic about my mm -hmm. work, so mm -hmm. I was really um, happy about that. Mm -hmm. As to... Um, how to s handle the situation? I think you need to um, kind of discuss that with your agent and yeah. see what direction you want to go in. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's just, there's so many variables there yeah. that's really hard to give advice on that. But I would say talk to your agent, explain to her how you feel, and mm -hmm. and try to take stock objectively of the situation and, yeah. and look at your options. Yeah, I mean, I've had it, you know, I was orphaned on uh, my latest book, and I got so lucky with my new editor, because I loved my old editor, and then I loved my new editor, and so I really don't know how to salvage that situation, because mm -hmm. I've never had it turn out badly for me although I've heard of, of that I think that definitely talking to your agent is the thing to do and I think that you need to um, just go forward as professionally as you can you're contracted you're in it it's gonna happen um, try to get that editor enthusiastic as enthusiastic as you can get I mean if, if you feel comfortable talk about it Mm -hmm. You know, and just say, and just, you know, be like, well, you know, how do you feel about the book or what can we do to make this exciting or whatever? But I mean, and a lot of times, there's a lot of times in situations, you know, in books and everything else, anything professional, you're going to have to work with people that maybe are not the best match for you and you just need to find a way to make it work. Right. So. right. Um, from Shannon, uh, are authors expected or encouraged to stay within their genres instead of transitioning to others? Mm -hmm. Are some transitions more difficult in, in terms of marketing? Uh, for example, a YA author trying to transition to selling adult market novels or a historical fiction writer trying to cross over into sci-fi? Um, well, since I've actually mm -hmm. done this... <laughs> um, it's not so much a, a, you know, it's really up to the author, I think, to make the decision uh, what genres they feel comfortable with and they really, really want to write. Um, I loved science fiction, uh, but I understood the marketing side of it, whereas if I actually went to a uh, another genre that I probably would have to reinvent myself mm -hmm. and my name because there is an expectation when a reader picks up a C.J. Berry book, they're going to get science fiction, right. mm -hmm. um, whereas they pick up a Samantha Graves book, they're, going, they're not going to get science mm -hmm, fiction. There's mm -hmm. a big distinguish, um, distinguishing, distinguishing factor mm -hmm, between mm -hmm, the yeah, two mm -hmm. of them um, because there are such different genres. Mm -hmm. um, not that people wouldn't like my books mm -hmm. in either genre, right. but there is an expectation there, and I wouldn't want to disappoint mm -hmm. you know, a reader. Um, 
So as far as transitioning, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can transition into any genre you want to. Um, I think the main thing is uh, creating a, an identity. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to move your identity from one genre to another, uh, depending on the genres that, that you choose, it might be a little tough. Yeah. yeah, it can be. I mean, I think that when you jump a genre, sometimes they want you to start with an entirely new name, which mm -hmm. is almost like starting over, it except is. that once you've had some published novels under your belt, uh, people kind of you, you're you're I think it's easier to sell because people know you can finish a book. They know that people like working with you. You develop a reputation in the business. So you've got that working for you. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it is a little bit like starting over when you start in a new genre. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. say that it's really necessarily any more difficult than, you know, especially not more difficult than staying in a genre that you're not excited about. That's definitely yeah. the, the or selling worst for choice. The first time. Or selling for the first time, right? right. right. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that generally you just, you know, jump that hurdle the mm -hmm. same way you do everything else. So Right. Uh, what is the best, or this is from Clear Green Fire. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the best Mother's Day gift your kids or husband has ever given you? I don't get Mother's Day gifts. <laughs> we don't do them. We forget Mother's Day in my house. Although, actually, no, that's not true. They Because they, at school they make them, you know, mm -hmm. like make up Mother's Day gifts or whatever. But generally, um, we're not really you know big on that um at our house with dates and we do christmas and birthdays mm -hmm. for the kids and then that's about it so. how about you i think my favorite gift was uh shrubbery oh. <laughs> <laughs> my husband said okay go to like the landscape place and mm -hmm. buy whatever shrubbery one. Oh. So I went and I bought shrubbery oh, that's, right. that's very exciting. <laughs> but generally what they do is they just leave me alone. Uh -huh. They yeah. leave me alone and it's my day to kind of go and do whatever I want. Yeah, we do that definitely. Yeah. definitely. I think next that's Mother's Day you and I are gift. going out. <laughs> yes. That's like a huge gift right there. So, Alright, the next one is from uh, Morvan Westfield. Mm -hmm. I've been listening uh, about the notorious D-Block. <laughs> And wondered if you're referring to a standard structure for podcasts or if this is something you came up with to organize uh, your own. Uh, oh, Lonnie came up with this. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know what a block was. Well, and when I, I used to work in television alert. news, and that's how we did it. We did everything in blocks separated by, um, by commercials. And the first podcast we did, I was like, oh, let's just wing it. You know, let's just wing it and go in and do whatever. And, you know, and then uh, Sam was a little uncomfortable with that. <laughs> and so I went back to my broadcast uh, background and I thought, OK, you know, when we do a live show, we break it up into blocks and we did uh -huh. the commercials and we put all the stuff in and um, and kind of worked all that stuff out because uh, I think it just I, and I think it makes for a better show. I mean, oh, I feel yeah. like it's got more structure. Mm -hmm. You know, we give each block kind of a particular focus, not necessarily mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. as much, but uh, generally we try to give them a little focus and we have something that we try to accomplish in each one. So, um, But that comes from my broadcast background. And any other podcast you listen to, I mean, unless somebody has a broadcast background, um, they probably just do it whatever way comes naturally to them. So different podcasts do it different ways. It just depends. But that's, that's a broadcast thing. So, All right. Now, the next question is from Jill. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam has the C.J. Berry books. Lonnie, do you ever see yourself writing under another name or in another genre? Do I ever see myself... Let I, me answer this. Oh, okay, go answer. Uh, that would be no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to answer that slightly more diplomatically, but, you know, whatever. Um, You're not going to write under I, another name. I, well, I... If, if an opportunity came up where that uh -huh. was the sensible thing to do and that was something I wanted to do, then I would. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you something. 
Um, I can't answer to anything but Lonnie. I really honestly, like, if somebody came up to me, like, first of all, okay, let me just tell you something. <laughs> Sam's name is Cindy. Yeah. When I first met her, she was CJ Barry, so I called her CJ or Siege, uh-huh. which uh-huh. I really liked. And then she was like, oh, no, call me Cindy. So I'm like, all right, so let me call you Cindy. And then we started the podcast, but she was doing Samantha Graves at that time. We didn't want to confuse people as to who she was. So I kept calling her Sam. So now when I talk about her, nobody knows who I'm talking about. Is it Sam? Is it Cindy? Is it Sam? Is it Cindy? Is it CJ? Who are these people? That sounds like I have three best friends instead of one. So um, I, I think it just, it's just too confusing for my feeble little brain to like wrap itself around. And mm-hmm. I have a hard time signing my checks because I have my married name and then my other name. And so I, I sign everything wrong. But, uh, but anyway, um, so that's kind of, uh, kind of how that works. But, you know, I, I probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> All, right. All right. The next one comes from Shannon. Our authors expect, oh, oh wait, I already, already did that this. one. Where you are know we? What? I must have like done twice. Double okay. copied that. Okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> From um, Azucena. Azucena. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Um, I don't like giving descriptions when I write. I don't know how to, and the few times I've tried, I just couldn't get a grasp on it. This go this goes to everything from characters to setting to emotions the characters feel inside. What do you suggest I do to improve my descriptive skills? Okay, I have a great exercise for you. Go to the mall. <laughs> sit in the middle of the mall and watch people go by uh-huh. and in your head look at that person mm-hmm. and in five words describe them mm-hmm. describe what they're going to do what they're thinking mm-hmm. and where they're going right mm-hmm. you know it's it's just a little exercise that you can do um i'm a very visual writer mm-hmm. And um, when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm creating worlds that I've never been right. on. Mm-hmm. I'm creating, mm-hmm. you know, places that I've never been to. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do, if I have, if they do exist, mm-hmm. I'll do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. I mean, a ton of research. I will watch, I will get videos from the library. I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch people's travel logs and I'll read about travel logs and I'll find the pictures that people have mm-hmm. taken of this place. And, and I will immerse myself in that setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and you just kind of close your eyes and you think about, okay, mm-hmm. if you're looking at a picture, I'm standing in the picture, what would it sound like? What would it, mm-hmm. you know, what would it smell like? Mm-hmm. What would, you know, how would I feel? Would it be hot? Would it be cold? Just all those things. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you take all that and you, you boil it down to a few words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You write one short paragraph mm-hmm. and you put everything in there and then you move on to the rest of the story. <laughs> Yeah, well, I actually uh, traditionally have not been very good with description. Um, Here's the thing. I hate it. I will skim through it in a book, um, especially if it's in a big block, you know, of description. Um, So what I have learned to do and actually what I feel really good about and I like about my writing now is that when I describe, I throw in one or two key details that will not only give you a feeling of the setting or whatever it is that I'm trying to describe, but also kind of speak to the character of the person who's describing it. Like um, at the opening of um, Wish You Were Here, I have Freya looking at a... um, at a cabin and she's got the the number four is like hanging off by one nail like it's trying to escape and so that's how she describes the cabin and that it hadn't been painted since the Nixon administration I think those are like the two things that I put in there and I think that once you once you see that like a couple of key details you get a feel for how she sees her world what the POV character how they see their world and also um, you get a feel for what that cabin is like and that's really basically two details you know so I try to describe honestly as little as possible but I also do a 
lot more description now than I did. If you anybody who's read Time Off for Good Behavior, I, I think I describe nothing in there. I'm like, use your imagination, whatever. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I actually used that device in um, in Out of Time, where I had Simon describing um, the, a street yes. in Mexico, mm-hmm. and and then and then something happened, and they got stalled in the street, yeah. and then it, it switched over to to Jillian's point of view, and she described the same street, right. and what you saw was his very pessimistic view of mm-hmm. this through mm-hmm. his eyes, and then through her eyes, it was all hope, yeah. it was all you know tradition, and she mm-hmm. didn't see the ugly that he saw and he didn't see the beauty that she saw Mm -hmm. and it said a lot about the characters themselves yeah so use your description to speak about character and that's going to help you a lot because it'll give you like I I hate description just for like there was a Victorian chair in the corner I don't care you know so make sure it does something else for you too all right so the next question is from Melissa Blue hi Melissa Uh, what are things you should consider before agreeing to writing an anthology I know it's not the same as a collaboration it is not the same as a collaboration Uh, but I'm sure there are things to consider I just have no idea what they are neither do I I've never done an anthology you almost did once I almost did an anthology um I, I think you have to uh, get everybody together. The, the hard thing about doing an anthology is the scheduling mm-hmm. um, because you're working with three different people who are writing three different things. Uh, you know, you have other people's agents involved. It is a little bit like a collaboration in that. Um, as, but then, I mean, if you get past all that, then you just write your book. Right. As, you, mm-hmm. as long as you stay within the theme of whatever you agreed to for the anthology, mm-hmm. you know, it should be fine. And it's nice. It's short. Yeah, it's two hundred thousand words. Yeah, it's twenty thousand words. Really, right? yeah. yeah, so it's definitely yeah, it's really nice. So. Right, yeah. so the next one from Melanie. I just started plotting my story, yay, <laughs> and I am struggling with the time span of the novel. I need to, uh, I need it to take place over the course of about six or seven years, but I don't know how to write out uh, every detail or have or have gaps in the timeline. Do you have? Um, any suggestions? Have you had anything that took place over that kind of time? Uh, I really haven't, so I'm not really sure. Um, I, I think what you have to do at that point is really pick and choose the key scenes that happen to your characters over that period of time and, and just hit those. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else um, to actually cover that amount of time. Yeah, that's kind of an epic amount of time. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. all of my books I noticed happen in like a weekend, yeah. you know, or like five days. I think the longest one. Although, uh, Forge Quote was a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a couple of them, but I think what you do is um, you, you find all the things uh, that are key to the story that happen, and then when you go to the next scene, you do what they call as an elide where mm-hmm. basically you say over the next three months you know cindy did blah 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 or whatever yeah. and um and you kind of that's called an elide and you kind of just take you, you say you know what happened basically mm-hmm. and then you move into the next thing that the problem with elides that i have is that they just always feel so awkward yeah they do um and i i just have a real problem writing them and i also feel like i lose some of that pacing and urgency but those mm-hmm. are my stories i think there are other stories that can definitely take it and obviously mm-hmm. there are epic stories that work really well like that like gone with the wind and you know right. I mean, there's so many stories that um that go over i would actually read people mm-hmm. who've written those and who've done those well where something takes mm-hmm. a story takes place over a number of years um you know go to whatever your favorite books are. you go to the whiffer forum probably mm-hmm. people have ideas and just ask for suggestions of books um that have that have done that and done that well and then read those and see what those authors did because i'm really mm-hmm. useless to you on this yeah, one <laughs> me too. All right, this one's from Jill. Mm-hmm. Both Sam and Lonnie's careers seem to be going along a path not foreseen or chosen. <laughs> <laughs> how do you see? 
how do you see oh writing books to be published in your future hmm. um oh you want me to talk about yeah, that yeah, talk about ahead. the path <laughs> not chosen uh, um you know it's basically one of the things that i did this year which uh, has been really really good for me is i went off contract you know mm. i finished up all my contracts and then i did not immediately pursue a new contract i'm sort of in the process of doing that now um and uh, and i'm excited about it but basically um everything in life is going to go along a path not foreseen or chosen you know not everything is going to go exactly the way that you planned or thought it would and I think in everything you just need to um, be as flexible as you can and just kind of jump with it whatever whatever happens you just kind of go with it so as far as uh, what I'm going to be doing in my future I mean I really can't tell you I have no idea I'm just going to keep writing books I'm going to make sure that whatever I write I love Mm -hmm. and that is essentially the only thing that I'm going to stick to um, and everything else I'm flexible on right and again, uh, I had the same experience as Lonnie. I, I went off contract and took a little bit of time because mm-hmm. um, I started a day job and, and got the kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I needed I needed a little bit of a break. Um, but you know, I'm I'm going to write the books that I love, send out the proposals that I love, mm-hmm. and we'll just see what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'll keep writing. Yeah. That's all, all you can do. Um, her next question is, do you listen to your heart, the girls in the basement, reader pressure, re- editor slash agent pressure? Boy, there's a lot of pressure, oh isn't there? Oh, my God. I hadn't thought of it, but I Jill, you've got me so depressed now. I know. <laughs> to write and then push to publish your books. Um, oh, gosh. I, I always listen to my heart. Mm-hmm. I always listen to my heart. Yeah. I, you know, I could write probably anything I wanted to if I really put right. my mind to mm-hmm. it. The key is I need to write what makes me happy exactly so mm-hmm. in that case mm-hmm. i think you have to listen to your heart yeah you know, if it doesn't work out at least you loved what you were doing mm-hmm. so you know and you can try again yeah. you know, and so. i mean the thing is i i think that whatever you're going to get out of writing you need to get out of the writing process and what happens with it afterward is all gravy you know and um so I just want to write books that I love and what happens with them happens if I have to get you know a real day job you know which is definitely a possibility actually something I'm kind of thinking about seriously then that's okay you know but I mean it's much preferable to writing books that I don't love because it just sucks the life out of you. It's so hard to do. It's hard to do when you love them. Mm -hmm. You know, when you don't love them, it's It's really, really, really hard. So, okay. So the next one is from Melissa DK. How do the rules of writing romance differ from the rules of writing women's fiction? Oh, you can take I guess that's one. for me. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, the style, I think, is is different. Uh, the women's fiction is, uh, when I write it anyway, it's all from um, one point of view, although that's not the way that everybody else does it. That's the way that I do it. I do it from one woman's point of view, and I follow a journey that she goes through, a character arc, something that changes in her life, the big moment in her life that changes the trajectory of what she's doing. For um, a romance, romance the story the focus is on um the romance first and so you follow the romance arc and then you've got two protagonists the man and the woman which is typically how i do it so i think it's really more uh less about the rules because rules generally i find the rules that i listen to are are craft related not genre related and if we go back there was a a, we did a thing on rules where a Mm -hmm. podcast on rules where i talk about that um but uh, so I don't find that it's the rules so much it's just that there's a particular kind of style that makes that story either romance or women's fiction so um, the next question is if you're writing in first person from the POV of the heroine how important is the hero's goal motivation and conflict 
again, I guess I'll take this one because mm-hmm. Sam doesn't write first person. Um, it, you know, it's important in that the uh, the heroine is going to obviously have to deal with whatever it is that the that the hero, the guy, the romantic interest or whatever. Um, less a hero in um, a women's fiction story because he's more the romantic interest. He's kind of part of her world as opposed to this world that they share together. Um, but uh, but anyway, so it's it's not it's important that you understand it as the writer what the romantic interest is going through. But it's not really something that is huge and central to the to the writing process and to the story. The last question is how do editors agents make the distinction between romance and women's fiction with strong romantic elements? Basically, the first question. And I think I answered mm-hmm. that is that a women's fiction is about the women's journey. It's about the the woman's experience and a romance is focused on the romance. So right. I think it covers everything. Why don't we move yeah. over to you and you do the next question. Okay. From Mac. Um, can I have a pony? <laughs> Mac, we've talked about this. <laughs> when you're old enough to when take care of it. When you're old enough to take care of the pony, <laughs> you can have one. <laughs> All right, is that it? That's it. Oh my goodness! Well, that was fun. It was fun. It was a good time. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So, well, thank uh, you guys so much for sending in all of those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool. I had fun. And now uh, here's a message from Wiffer Kim. Oh. Hey, Lonnie and Sam. This is Wiffer Kim, and I just want to thank you so much for such a wonderful podcast. You've inspired me to finally pursue my dream to be a writer. And because of you and the wonderful community of Whiffers out there, I am nearly finished writing my first novel. I wish you both the very best in your new endeavors. Thanks again. It's been awesome. Drink! Thanks for coming back. I'm Samantha Graves. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Will Write for Wine. <laughs> Yay! Yay! For our final giveaway, we're doing something very cool. Uh-huh. Our final Will Write for Wine giveaway includes the world's ugliest oh. socks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that was okay. <laughs> a Will Write for Wine refrigerator magnet, a teddy bear, and a t shirt. And the winner is Jill. Yay! Congratulations, Jill. Congratulations, Jill. <laughs> We'll get that right out to you. All right. And up next, we have the dun, 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 weekly win. <laughs> Did we get it? I don't think I so. Don't I think, think I screwed it up. All right. Okay. Well, thank God that's the last dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. Anyway, this week, I rewrote an opening scene again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of opening scenes and throwing them out. And I'm very close to having a new proposal done, so awesome. I'm excited about that. How about you? Awesome. Um, I didn't do actually any writing this week. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like in limbo yeah. waiting for a couple of proposals uh-huh. that are out there. We'll see what happens. So uh, mm-hmm. if anything happens, I'll let you guys know on the forum. So. All right. Well, that's the last and probably shortest D-block ever Ever. from your intrepid host. (laughs) And we're going to go drink our sorrows away. But we will leave you with these messages from our incredible board moderators, Jennifer from Michigan and Pimp, my mixer mixer Pam. Pam. (laughs) A special thank you goes out to these two who have given the Woofer Boards life and personality. We love you, girls. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This is Wiffer Jennifer in Michigan saying thank you, Lonnie and Zam, for 58 and hopefully now 59 great episodes. The podcast has been both informative and funny, sometimes both at the same time. You've even made me laugh on the treadmill, which is not an easy task. I send you, along with the glass of the delicious Michigan wine I'm currently drinking, best wishes for your post-podcast days. See you on the forums.
Hi, this is Whiffer Pimp, my mixer Pam, and I wanted to congratulate Sam and Lonnie on 59 great podcasts full of wine, writing, and laughter. And I wanted to say thank you for the Whiffer Forums, a gathering place for the brightest, funniest, most supportive people in the world. It's awesome. Drink! Well, it's time for last call here on Will Write for Wine, and, and we really mean it this time. Yes. <laughs> really super last call. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Yeah. Don't forget to stay active on the forums. We will be there. Please mm-hmm. stop by and say hello. And if you're listening to this like a year afterward, we're still there. I promise. Yeah. And that wraps up our final weekly show. Mm-hmm. We can't tell you how wonderful it's been and how truly amazing this is, this experience has been for both of us. Yes, even though we're hanging up our podcasting spurs, we want you all to know what an incredible ride it's been for us. You take so much time out to tell us you know, what we've done for you, but you all need to know what you've done for us. This was always going to be fun. It was a great time for the two of us. But having you guys there listening every week and getting involved and sharing your success with us, that made it meaningful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So for the last time, this is Lonnie. And this is Sam. Saying if you can't write for money, then write for wine. Pressure, then I sleep too long and I hang around like a bum. I think I'm going nowhere and that makes me nervous. Everybody's had to get me, but I feel alright. Everybody's had to get me, but I feel alright. Everybody's had to get me, but I feel alright. Everybody's thinking about me. It's the little things that get you. It's the little things that get you when you weren't paying attention. It's the little things that get you. It's the little things that get you. It's the little things that get you when you weren't paying attention. I'm trying to cut down on my caffeine consumption. So when I get up, I just have one cup of coffee and I like to have another cup of coffee with my breakfast. And on the way to work, I like to get a cup of coffee. Like the kind of cup of coffee that you get with the donuts. If I never get the donut, I just have the cup of coffee. And when I get to work, I like to have a cup of coffee. Because I like to have a coffee when I'm talking on the phone. We usually go as cold and I need to get another cup of coffee. And it's lunch. And I have an espresso. morning anymore, so I have a diet cola and another diet cola, but then I'm feeling fine, and I'm feeling pretty sharp, and I'm feeling pretty wired, and I'm getting things done, but right about two, I get this little tiny migraine, and it starts by my eyes, and it moves to the back of my neck, and it moves to the bottom of my spine, but it doesn't get there till five or six o'clock, which is the end of the day, so I'm fine, 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 except when I have to work late, when I have to work late, which I usually do, I take the distress, that's the way that I get things done, if I'm not under pressure, then I sleep too long, and I hang around like a
the grocery store like a piece of bubble gum Or sometimes I just dip my thumb in a peach and leave it there I love to work, I love to run, I love to water ski, snowboard, jet ski, skydive, parasail, hang glide Rollerblade, mountain bike, bungee jump, well I mean I'd love to do these things If I ever had the time, I love to work, I love to work, I love to work out after work Love to spend a little time with this world I'm seeing Except uh, we never really get all time to spend together So we call each other up and we talk about work But what I think I really love is to get up on myself on a little tiny island in the middle of the ocean With just me and a book and a cellular phone and a personal computer in case something came up and I'd eat and I'd drink and I'd run and I'd sleep and I wouldn't do nothing except swim all day. So you know, my paper doesn't work underwater. Where were the sharks? Where were the sharks? Where were the sharks? And there's this kind of anemone that sticks in your foot and the poison goes up to your brain and you die. And sad, please. Sad, please. Yuck. But actually, I think it'd be really relaxing. Just me by myself in the middle of the ocean. And that's what I really love to do more than anything else, except I probably hate it. Make distress, that's the way that I get things done. If I'm not a depression, then I'll sleep too long and I hang around like a I think I'm going nowhere and that makes me nervous Everybody's out there me but I feel alright Everybody's out there me but I feel alright Everybody's out there me but I feel alright